As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another Athletic Hockey Show Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Beasel from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. We got Joe Smith today in Calgary. Who knows where Russo is? Probably just taking the day off, relaxing. The beach in California somewhere with a nice hot coffee. Uh, He always claims he's too busy. (laughs) Get get Joe to jump in there. But yeah, so we got Joe. and, And we're happy about it. You're in Calgary, right? Yeah, I want the athletic to open a Banff bureau. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be a lot of writers who would pitch to uh, to cover a team in Banff or in around Banff. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's really cold, which is why I'm inside here talking to you guys. Stay inside, talk hockey. That's what my yeah. whole life pretty much is living in Canada. Uh, and we're going to talk to Peter Ball a little later on in the show about the injury riddled. Colorado Avalanche guys I feel like these guys are just going to come out for practice and everyone's going to have a red jersey on just like nobody touch anybody because we can't afford any uh any more injuries five of their top six forwards are gone but we'll talk more about that uh with uh Peter in segment two but we've got like a whole sometimes our shows guys are like two or three topics and we we really get deep into them and sometimes we've got like 50 topics because it's been a busy week and that's what we do here so it's going to be the latter today. I'm going to let you know. So let's get right into it with some stuff from last night. Paul Maurice uh, back in Winnipeg for the first time as a head coach now of, of course, the Florida Panthers. Uh, got a nice little welcome back with assistant Jamie Compton. Uh, got emotional. Jesse knows how I feel about video tributes. I'm not a huge fan of them. Bitched about him last week. But it was it was nice to see uh, as he was back. And um, 
like I said, he looked like he was on the verge of tears and and the Winnipeg Jets fans uh, saying, hey, welcome back, Paul. What did you think of this, Jesse? Yeah, it was good. And I, I actually uh, had the same thing happen with the team I was covering. Uh, Bruce Cassidy was back in Boston and he, he they got a pretty good tribute for him. And he mentioned after the game that he was a little choked up by it. Um, not a great welcome back to uh, Winnipeg, though, right? As the Panthers get kind of thumped. And, and to me... It brings it back to how many times do we hear like good goalies make coaches look good and bad goalies make coaches look bad. And this was, I mean, you look at the shots on goal, the Panthers dominated this game, 41 shots on goal, but Connor Hellebuck was just too good. And meanwhile, uh, Spencer Knight gets pulled after allowing three goals on 15 shots. Um, I think this Panthers team is ripe for a regression back to being good. I think that when I look at their record and then I look at their stats, it's like this team is much, much better than it the, the record indicates and that the outcomes have indicated. But uh, we'll see if their goalies can get it back together. But yeah, it's, it's funny that Paul Maurice couldn't get elite Hellebuck last year. He was, it was a down year for, for his standards. And that was, I think, part of what led to him leaving. And then he comes back and his goalies in Florida are not playing well. And Hellebuck's playing lights out and they can't get a goal by him. To, to your point, Jesse, uh, John Cooper is the longest tenure coach in the NHL. And guess who has the best save percentage as a team in the 10 years he's coached at Tampa Bay Lightning? Yep. And he's a great coach and he'll be a Hall of Famer, you know, no question, but it, a good goaltending can can make you look a lot better behind the bench. But uh, I was curious what you guys thought of Shifley's quote after the game. Um, still got accountability with bonus and how much fun he's made it every day. And obviously controversial decision to change the captaincy there uh, before the season. But uh, I know everybody gets a, a new coach bump going into a season. Like, oh, everybody's excited as a fresh voice. But do you make anything more of that than just him being excited about being the, the new coach? Or was a little bit of a dig at, at Paul Maurice? I don't take it as a dig. I think I think anytime a team's struggling, and, and how many times did Paul Maurice say it in the, in the press conference? This team needs a new voice. You could have the greatest yeah. coach on planet Earth. Sometimes you just need that change. And I think that's where the Jets were. And it's funny that he mentioned that afterwards because bonus, you know, he kind of um, made news a couple of days ago. Remember, you know, they had that slow start against the Ducks. They come back to win. And usually when you do that, a coach is singing the praises of his team. And he said, quote, I'm not a babysitter. Babysitter. These guys are men. They're professionals and they're paid to show up to go to work. My job is to make that happen. You cannot play this game without passion, without emotion. You cannot play this game on your heels. I hate when we're on our heels. That's accountability right there, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times when you see a firing work and and turn a team around, I think it's they're going kind of from one style of coaching to the opposite. And I think that's kind of what you see here. You mentioned they need a new voice, but I think it's also just a different style of coaching. Paul Maurice is not a fiery guy. He's kind of, I mean, he can be at times, but for the most part, he's really calculated. He's, he's a, str- a strategist. He's um, kind of laid back. And, and then you go to bonus, who's more of a like drill sergeant, you're, he's going to get these guys. You say accountability. That's probably the number one word that's going to come up with him. I feel like going from one style to a very, very different style is key um, to, to, to getting a new voice. It's got to be something different. And I was around bonus for a number of years in Tampa, and I've never seen a guy show up to the rink without a smile on his face. Like, these are the happiest. <laughs> I mean, I knew he's, like, I swear to God every day, like, he acts like he was, like, it was, like, born into the league, and this is his first day. Like, he was so, and, and the guys loved it. And guys had been, everybody loved his passion and his, they know how much he cares. And uh, he's looking for his first Stanley Cup after a million games in the NHL. I think people are, are to be pushed by that. 
Yeah, very interesting. And quickly going back to Maurice, I want to throw this in there. One of four coaches with 1,400 or more games and no Stanley Cup. The other one's Lindy Ruff, Pat Quinn, and Ron Wilson. Um, more from last night. Mitch Marner picks up an assist in, in the first period, extends his point streak to 20 games, fourth active player, and just seventh in the past 30 years to record a point in 20 or more games. Um, it, it's interesting when a guy's got a streak. You'll watch the hockey game a little bit differently, but uh, pretty impressive from Mitch Marner, you know, and, and probably good to get it out in the first period as well. What do you think, Joe? Well, if you're a fantasy owner, you're, you're pretty happy right now, right? So yeah. uh, it's, it's, and I, I think especially streaks are really um, impressive in, in this National Hockey League, no matter what you do, but especially in the pressure cooker of Toronto and all, and what's going on with that team uh, after last year and to come in here and just get off this kind of start. Uh, and really scoring some key goal, key goals, and all those those aren't garbage points he's scoring, right? Yeah. Uh, some key moments. So I think that's going to do a lot for him mentally, uh, the confidence wise, and pressure off his back a little bit, at least until April seventh or April eighth. Um, but uh, it's obviously it's a cool thing for fantasy owners, and obviously a cool thing for a player who loves to have some confidence and uh, some good juju on their side. Yeah, I think it's also just a product of the Leafs are playing really well and scoring a bunch of goals right now. Um, like the goal he, sc- or, I mean, his point last night was. He didn't do anything special. I mean, it was an assist and it wasn't like he set up the goal. Like he just kind of threw a puck on net and got a good bounce and the Leafs bury it and he gets the point. And then you go to the game before that against Tampa um, when I I think they actually ended up losing that game. But he scored two big goals, one shorthanded where they were applying a bunch of pressure on the forecheck. And then and then he scored on the power play, I think, to tie it late. So he's he's making some great individual plays, but in order to have this many games in a row with a with a point, you've got to. To me, it's a product of you're playing on a good team, you're playing a bunch of minutes. The puck's gonna have come off your stick and and go into the net every once in a while when it's not even you making a great play, and you're not going to be able to have a, a, a beautiful setup for a backdoor goal every single night. So I think it's a product of the Leafs are are playing really good hockey and scoring a bunch of goals right now. Well, yeah, they've turned that thing around in Toronto in uh, the month of November because anytime you have a slow start to the season, guys, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of attention in Toronto on this hockey team. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, things were just set the whole place on fire uh, after that October. A couple things uh, that we still have to talk about from last night. Devils, they won. Big shocker, guys. 21-4-1. They've won 18 of their last 20 games. And this is the stat that really jumped out to me. They've allowed one goal or less nine times this season which is one more than all of last year. Where did this Devils team come from? I mean, I know we're going to bring up the draft. I know everything else, but I don't think anyone expected 21-4-1 on December the 7th. Jesse? Well, we we said last year, I mean, we were saying it all last year, this team is playing great 5-on-5 hockey. Like, if you look at their underlying metrics, they are controlling the chances like a top-five team in the league. And the goalies are just a sieve back there. And we're like, can they get a better goalie? Well, they bring in Vitek Vanacek, not a superstar. Most people, I think when they made that move said, really, that's your solution? Like, okay, well, Vanacek's been great. I mean, he got he just got his second shutout of the, of the season last night. He's fourth in the NHL in save percentage. Um, I think he's a product of the defense in front of him. Do I think he's the fourth best goalie in the league? Obviously not. But... He's playing solid. He's got a good defense behind in, in front of him. Um, I we we've talked about it before with the Devils. I'm so impressed by by their the, the way they're defending. I think when you think of them, you think of this young team that's got a bunch of stars that are scoring really cool goals. But at the same time, the difference has been the goaltending and the way they're defending. And like you mentioned, one goal or less in a, in a ton of games. This team's playing really good hockey. 
And you have a case of a lot of you really talented young players, top picks coming into their own and, and finding some confidence. And when the team wins and gets off to a good start, it does a world for the room. And I think it's not just the young players. They, Mistrell did a great job bringing in some character guys, some championship level players like Andre Pilat. I know he's hurt right now. He'll be back in February probably, but getting those guys that can, uh, those guys can learn from, uh, and follow the lead with in the room and, or in the, in the gym and all that stuff. So I think, like you mentioned, they played five on five last year was good. Getting a goaltending makes any team good, makes any coach smarter. And I think just having those young players who people thought would be superstars in their own right when they were drafted number one, number two overall are being those big time guys. Sidney Crosby scored two more goals last night, guys. He's now got 15 on the season, 532 for his career. And Sidney Crosby is on pace for 47 goals this year. We shouldn't be surprised when Sidney Crosby does awesome things because Sidney Crosby has been awesome since he first put on skates. But man, oh man, he's 35 and he's making it look like he still is Sid the kid. So I'll ask you this, over or under 40 goals for Sidney Crosby this year? Joe? Over. I think over. And like, you get the, the Penguins were in, in, in deep trouble before the streak, right? Like they were banged up and they weren't playing well. I mean, I think, you know, he's obviously been on a role. He can continue this role as the season goes on. But I think it's kind of funny. I talked to a veteran NHL player the other day and he's like, yeah, talk about college veteran players. Like we're, you're younger, you're older than us. Like, you know, 35 is not 50, you know, like yeah. in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, like 32 year old player, 34 year old player isn't an ancient figure by any stretch, but I guess in, in hockey or, or, or sports terms, um, all those, the veteran labels gets put on there. I don't know, man. I'm 32. And when I'm, when I come home from my men's league games, my hips are, <laughs> are feeling it. Um, <laughs> no, but, but seriously, I mean, Crosby, he's, he's obviously ridiculous. What stands out to me is, uh, I, I haven't watched a ton of Penguins games, like the whole game, but I, I do see the highlights every, every morning and his goals are coming from the dirty areas. Like yeah. the two goals last night that the one where he's falling down and he still is able to lift it over the pad and get it in. Like he is, this is, not a guy who is avoiding the the hard areas of the ice to go to. I mean, he's he's 35. He's a veteran. He's on a team that maybe doesn't look like it's destined to, to on a deep playoff run. Like they're just scratching and clawing just to get into the playoffs. He's had all of his cups. He's he's won everything there is to win. It would be very easy for Sidney Crosby to sit along the outside of the zone and collect his points when he gets them. And and but no, this team was struggling. He is going to. I guarantee it's in his mind. He's not only is he is he going there to get these goals. He's going there to set examples for all the players around him. If Sidney Crosby's going to the middle of the ice to get a dirty rebound goal, why aren't we all? Um, it's just it just shows you. This guy, he may not be the most talented hockey player ever, but he is just the team play. Like he is still the same guy that he's been his whole career. He is leading that team, um, and to the best of his ability, it's it's really fun to watch. To me, it stands out that he's not scoring these these fancy goals. I guess he's he's going to the hard areas of the ice and 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 getting beat up uh, uh, to to get these goals. He was sick yesterday. He wasn't going to play, but he's like, no, I want to play. Those are the games when you're 35 and you're Sidney Crosby and you've been doing it for – those are the games where you go, you know what? Yeah. Those are body maintenance days. Those are body maintenance exactly. days, Exactly. <laughs> right. But, but we've heard this about him before. It really got put on full display, I remember, with HBO 24-7. He's not human. And the players who, who are like that, on that level, you hear the, the Michael Jordan stories and the, you know, the Kobe stories. They're not human. They, they have this switch that we don't have. Um, and that's what makes them who they are. He's he's taking Sidney Crosby could have retired years ago and no one would have said, well, you missed up. No, he's accomplished everything he could ever want to accomplish. And he's still right. out there accomplishing it. And I, for one, think it's awesome. 
the hunger's still there. Yeah, and, and I don't. I I think he will need to be like dragged away from the league, kicking and screaming <laughs> when someone's just like Sid. You know, I know you love the game, but uh, it's time to hang him up. But until he regresses in any way, I don't want to see him hang him up. Um, Shane Wright got recalled by the Kraken again last night, guys, or again got recalled by the the, the Kraken to take on. Oh, look at that! The Montreal Canadiens, the team that uh, passed on him. With the number one pick in the draft, the team that he apparently was staring down at the draft. I don't know how much truth there was to that, but he was sent down uh, to Coachella Valley in the AHL. He was scratched for five straight games with Seattle, scored four goals in five games in the AHL, uh, comes up last night and scores his first NHL goal. I love seeing guys score their first NHL goal. It's Mm. one of my favorite things in the world. Um, But seeing how often is the first NHL goal a revenge goal? Like, how often do you ever see that? Like, he, you could tell he was like, yes, I scored against the team I wanted to, to, to get back at for not drafting me number one. What did you think of that one, Jesse? Yeah, it was great. It was great uh, management by the Kraken to say, you know what? If we're going to get him up for a game, I think this is the one to get him up for. The and one of course game. he scores. Yeah. <laughs> Right. One. Yeah. Only one. No more than that. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. But yeah, I mean, it was cool. Uh, we all were watching last night knowing it's narrative is such a funny thing in sports. It feels like going into a game like Phil Kessel is, is, is hitting his Ironman's record in Vegas. Like, of course, he hadn't scored in 18 games. Of course, he scores tonight. It just seems to happen that way every single time. It's amazing how the narrative writes itself in these situations. Uh, we all were watching this game for Shane Wright versus Montreal, and he hadn't scored up before this. And of course, he scores. It's great theater. And I think our uh, our colleague Arpin did a great job last night covering it all. Um with the emotions of it. And, and we were all at the draft, right? And you saw kind of how awkward it was when Shane Wright kept on falling and the crowd was like, what's going on? And mm-hmm. um, so to see the guy, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers waiting forever to get picked, but it was longer than he probably had thought. And so, and for all the crap the Kraken took this year for how they've handled Shane Wright and the patience or um, the fans maybe might not have for that, but I think it was the right way thing to do. And he got some confidence back in the AHL and it'll be a goal he'll remember the rest of his life. And whether he goes, Will Juniors gets more confidence and maybe comes back and plays more. We don't know, but uh, certainly that's something that'll uh, I'll stick in his in his mind for a long time. It takes it takes a lot of abuse. You get a lot of abuse when you do this with with a star player. I mean, I remember seeing it with Jason Spezza too. You know, so many years ago, mm-hmm. where people want to see this. The consensus number one. Hey, we got him at number four. He should be playing twenty minutes a game and and, and doing this. Whereas you think. Guys, this is a process like any other process. He's got to mature. He's got, as you mentioned, Joe, his confidence was not there. One assist in seven games and his ice time just kept dwindling. Then he's a healthy scratch. Um, I like what they're doing with Shane Wright. And maybe five years from now, we'll look back at, at his rookie season and go, you see, that that did work. That, that's just me. What do you guys think? Look at the wild, too, Marco Rossi, you know, and he's on the AHL right now. He had zero goals in 16 games. The wild absolutely needed to have a guy like that play uh, after Fiala was gone and all that stuff to get more offense. He wasn't, wasn't going there offensively. So they said, Hey, this is better for him to play 20 minutes in the power play in the AHL versus up here in the fourth line with Connor Dewar playing eight, nine minutes and it's kind of that. And this will maybe it'll be the best thing that ever happened to Marco Rossi. You know, I know fans want to see him now. They want to see him yesterday. Like they want to see Shane Wright with Benny Berniers lighting the place up, but the Kraken are winning. The Kraken are one of the best right. teams in the Western conference. Like that's the one thing too people forget and not a developmental league in the NHL. It's winning in the National Hockey League, right? So 
I think it's a, one of the bigger things that people are missing in this whole shade right situation. Yeah, I totally agree with that last point by Joe that this team is winning. They're in the playoffs right now. They're trying to make the playoffs. If this team was in last place in the Pacific, it's a different story. It's let's get him some NHL minutes. Let's make sure he's ready for next year when he and Berniers can can lead this team. But no, this team's trying to win right now. Um, they just beat the Golden Knights in Vegas. They're right behind them in the Pacific Division. This team is is playing winning hockey. They're not trying to develop right now. They're trying to win. All right, let's shift gears a bit here. I know trade deadline day is still a while away, but I think Patrick Kane, his name just keeps getting brought up. And if he's still a Blackhawk come March, he will be number one on that list. And for the longest time, all I kept hearing was Rangers, 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 Rangers. He's still linked to possibly going to the Rangers. But my question to you guys is, don't they need to worry about making the playoffs before they start worrying (laughs) about Patrick Kane? Because they're playing some awful hockey right now. Fans and media are already calling for the head of Gerard Gallant. He's sitting on a hot seat right now, guys. Their effort looks terrible. Barry Trotz is sitting out there doing nothing. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, So I I think almost the Patrick Kane storyline is taking a backseat to, yeah, guys, get yourself securely in a playoff spot before we start talking about, you know, the the finer points and, and the missing pieces for a playoff run. Before the season started, I I picked them out of the playoffs just because I was trying to not pick the same eight teams from last year. And two games into the season, after a big win over the Wild, and they were two and zero, this Rangers blog with a bunch of followers on Twitter like screenshotted my prediction, and like I just got my Twitter just got set on fire. Um, so I need to go find that tweet. Yeah, uh, do, that. About now. do that. But uh, <laughs> but but anyways, it's like Shane right over doing, here just looking for revenge. Yeah, right, I'm staring them <laughs> down uh, from the draft stage. But anyways, this team is doing exactly what I thought. They they weren't a good team last year. They weren't one of the top 15 teams in the league. They just had a goalie who was absolutely on fire. He's been good this year, but not as great as he was last year. And they're seeing the regression that I thought they would see. This team is not good enough to look to add a Patrick Kane right now. Luckily, there's a lot of time between now and the, and the trade deadline. They're going to have a lot more information to, to go off of. And they do have the talent and they've got the young talent that, that, they can turn it around and, and Shesterkin has another level. Like I said, he hasn't been bad. He's been decent. He's got another level. This team could turn it around. I covering Gerard Gallant here for a couple of years in Vegas. I think the world of him as a coach, um, I think he, he has the ability to turn it around, but right now the way this team's playing, absolutely not adding Patrick Kane. It's also Patrick Kane's decision too, right? I mean, doesn't he have a full no move clause? Like, does he want to go to the Rangers? Like he loves Panarin more than anything else. Like, and he'd be great, but like he wants to, if he's going to leave Chicago, a place he's been his entire career, he wants to set all the records for the Blackhawks as Mr. Blackhawk. I think he wants to go to a perfect situation and is that the best situation for him? I mean, who could be, who could be surprise contenders for him? Could it be the Boston Bruins? Could it be the Devils? Could it be any, you know, there'll be more than one suitor here Patrick Kane if this keeps on going the way it's going in Chicago and I think if you're uh, I think the Rangers have a lot more to worry about uh, on their own end versus uh, Patrick Kane but I think it'll be interesting to see what Patrick Kane as thoughtful as a player as a lot of people have been around what he decides to do with this decision much like Steven Stamkos did like in 16 deciding who we're going to go where he wants to go in free agency if we learned anything in the offseason guys let's stop trying to say oh he's going there you know, Johnny Goudreau really made us open our eyes and go, no, we haven't got this thing uh, figured out. Uh, speaking of possible change of scenery, I mean, I'm wondering if that is the best case scenario right now for Brock Besser. I mean, we've seen this season really just kind of give him a kick in the gut. His minutes have dropped. His PP time has dropped. Um, you know, he, he had some tough times. I know Russo wrote about it as well. Um, 
do we see Brock Besser moved in the near future? I would, I would think so. I mean, it's hard to move the contract um, in terms of like $6 million, I think, on his, another year or two. Um, but I think a, a fresh start could be good for him. And I think people often forget with these, these players, these superstar athletes, that they're human too. And they go through uh, a lot of things that everybody else goes through. And it's hard to put a timeline on, on grief and going through that. I don't want to speak for Brock and what he's going through in that situation, but I can just see there's a lot of layers to this situation than a normal hockey player going through a slump or getting healthy scratch, especially almost getting scratched on hockey fights, cancer night. Um, so overall, I think, you know, people in, in Minnesota are hitting me up on Twitter all the time. Like bring him to the wild. Everybody wants to love me. love to see him back in, in Minnesota, but I think it's a, a very layered situation that I'm, I'm sure they'll take proper care of and, and hope for him as a, a player and a person that, he gets a chance to kind of bounce back and, and show what he's capable of doing, which is really an elite, elite forward. Yeah. I, my gut tells me he shouldn't be traded right now because whether it's hockey players, whether it's stocks, whatever it is, you don't want to sell at the lowest point. And to me, Brock Besser is at his lowest value right now. If you're the Canucks, like our, our general manager sitting here ready to offer you what Brock Besser's actually worth at the moment, like probably not. They're all going to want a discount because he's not playing well for all the reasons you guys have mentioned. Like these guys are humans. They're not going to be at their peak performance at all times. And he's clearly not right now. But at the same time, if you're the Canucks, you can't you can't try to sell him at full price. Other GMs are going to say, absolutely not. Look, you almost scratched him the other night. We're, we want him for, for the value he's at right now. I think you'd be foolish to move a player as talented as Besser at his lowest um, value. Um, having said that, if you're going to scratch him and, and, and you think you can get some value out of him, I could see that. I just To me, it's poor asset management. We, we just mentioned these guys are players, but as a general manager, you have to see them as assets. And it's poor asset management to trade a player as talented as Besser um, when he's at the low point. He's, he's in a valley right now. You've got to get better value than that for him. I'm not saying give him away, Jesse. I'm just right, saying, right. I'm yeah. just saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying hopeful for the player that he gets a chance to go somewhere else and get it. But like, I think you're right. Like you can't give a, especially how much they're struggling right now as a team. They can't just give a guy like that away. Exactly. You said it earlier. They're in the business yeah. of winning hockey games. And obviously you want to be yeah. sympathetic to what he's gone through with his father, but they're not going to give him away for nothing. Like you said, um, because a change might be a good, uh, uh good for him. Uh, guys, two more topics left, and they're both kind of the same thing. They're both dealing with a coach being really, really honest. So I'm going to make up a game right on the spot. Love it or hate it. I want to know if you love or hate what the coach said about a specific situation. We're going to start with Craig Berube um, and what he said about Jordan Bennington, who could be a fantastic goalie, as we know. But we've also seen him, let's say, perform some antics in the past. And we saw it again uh, against the Penguins. Tried clipping Jason Zucker. Um he gets pulled, gets a 10-minute misconduct for chirping the Pens bench, and Berube was asked after the game about it, and he said, quote, it's got to stop. It doesn't help anything. Just play goal. Stop the puck. Love it or hate it. We're going to start with you, Joe. I love it. I mean, I think I think what Bington is doing is taking away from how talented a goalie he really is and what he can do. Um, he's a cup-winning kind of goalie, and I think the overall – I don't know about the antics or theatrics or I know he's a guy who likes to mix it up and uh, on and off the ice, but um, the, the blues need to win. The blues are in a pressure cooker right now and they need their number one goalie to act hard, act like it. So I like when a, a coach doesn't just protect his player all the time. Just says, Hey, we're all go to Dell's just do this and be the number one goalie. And that's what we need right now. Jesse. 
Yep. I love it. Um, Jordan Bennington, what he's doing is a complete joke and it's not helping him. Think back to all of the Jordan Bennington uh, antics, as you call them, over the last couple of years. What, how does every one of those stories end? It ends with him skating off the ice, going down the tunnel and going to the dressing room with his team getting six goals against him on the board. He doesn't handle getting scored on well. And the way he's acting like Jason Zucker, I've dealt with him a million times just because he's from Vegas. He's like, I've, I've interviewed him for all those stories. He's like the nicest human being on the planet. How could anyone be upset with Jason? And like you saw Zucker's reaction on the bench as Bennington's chirping him. He's just got his hands up. Like, what is your yeah, problem? Yeah. Like <laughs> you punched me like he punched Zucker as he was going behind the net and then he's all upset at Zucker because Zucker scored on him on the next play. I Bennington's antics are hurting him. They're hurting the team. If if it'd be one thing if he was getting all fired up and, and trying to fight guys and then they he was a brick wall and they couldn't score on him and and his him getting fired up is how he got the best out of himself. But that's not the case at all. Every one of these incidents ends with him getting pulled because he's terrible and he's giving up goals like it's the opposite. We all know that guy, whether it's in the NHL or right down to our men's leagues where you're sitting on the bench and every time they do that, you roll your eyes and it's nice that there's someone who's able to call them out. Just stop the puck. So I'm going to make it a clean sweep. Would love it. The other one, in a shocking turn of events, guys, John Tortorella making news with a quote, um, talking about Carter Hart. He said, quote, it's hard to be a goaltender with us. We just have not been able to give him run support. Uh, in other words, he's doing his job, but the rest of the team isn't, and we're allowing way too many shots, and we're not scoring enough to help him out. Love it or hate it, Jesse, we start with you on this one. Love it. Um, every Philly game I've watched this year, Hart has been outstanding. He's standing on his head back there and doesn't have a lot of support. I think it's uh, good for I – th- I think Tortorella knows that this team needs him to play at that level if they're going to turn things around. And this is a good way to to build that confidence in him while also telling the rest of the team, like, you got to get it together because um, he can't do this for 82 games. I love it, too. It's a good way to defend your goalie while also not calling out any individual player on your team. He wasn't calling out a certain defenseman. He's done that before. Trust me, in his past, he has done that before. But this is a way to say collectively as a group, you know, we're a hard team to play goalie for because – all the chances and it has to be 10 bell saves. So I guess a good way to build up your goaltender without tearing your whole team down or tearing one individual player down by calling that person out. I I love it. I will say that for me, the, the Tortorella power of his quote has lost its power for me. So I think that's the only thing. If this is another coach, I, I absolutely love it. But every time Tortorella makes news with a quote, I'm like, yeah, but I feel like he's always just playing this game. Um, but at least Carter Hart probably loved it a lot. Uh, we love Peter Baugh. He's going to come on after the uh, break and talk a little bit about the Colorado Avalanche and his new book. Don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, guys, the defending champs, they've lost four of their last six. Take a look at the standings. They're clinging to that second wildcard spot in the Western Conference. And when anything is going on with the Avs, you know who we're going to call our buddy Peter Baugh, who not only covers the team, but now has a new book out called Force of Nature. Joe Sackick, a star-studded team, and how the Colorado Avalanche built a Stanley Cup winner. How are you, Peter? I am well. How are you guys? Good to have you back. We're doing well. Um, let's, let's start. And this is something that, Jesse, I know you, you have a lot of experience with coming last year. Uh, this team has been struggling, but this team also has been pretty beat up. Nathan McKinnon now out four weeks with an upper body injury. Five of their top six forwards are hurt. So I'll ask you the same question I used to ask Jesse every day last week. Is there a chance you're going to be put on the shelf just by covering this team? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. You never know. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. I think they're up to like 11 or 12 injuries right now. Um, like you said, five of their six top forwards. I think... Uh, people have started to ask me like if it's time to panic and I would say not not yet I think they just kind of have to stay afloat for the next next few weeks and then they'll start getting guys back I think actually so- some of these guys sooner will be coming back um and and I think that they'll be fine once they have a few of their guys healthy and then maybe get on a bit of a run when they really get healthy later in the season or Our- Pete, are they playing a bunch of guys or or a, or a couple guys like way over their their normal career minutes? Um, because in, in Vegas, I felt like that was what really did them in was when other guys were out, they were leaning on guys like Petrangelo and and just really, really heavy minutes. And to me, that kind of snowballed to where it wasn't just that first wave of injuries. It just now the guys that you've been leaning on too heavily are banged up and they, and they don't have the juice. And it just seemed for Vegas like it was never ending. I'm wondering in Colorado, do you, th- are, do you think they're using the depth well or are they leaning on the top guys really heavy right now while, while the others are out? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a group that has never really been afraid to like lean on some of their top guys heavily. I mean, I remember last year there was a point where like Bednar was frustrated because he was like, I feel like I can only use three lines right now and and didn't really feel like he he could play the the bottom players enough. So so it's not that's not completely new. But yeah, they're relying on. I mean, Kel McCarr's well over twenty six minutes a game, um, and like McKinnon was playing a ton of minutes a game. Uh, Rantanen's playing a bunch, and then you have some of those secondary pieces that are also playing a lot. So time ice time is is way up for a lot of these guys. I think now. Um, maybe with the amount of injuries, like some, some, like for tonight, for example, they're, they're set to play the Bruins and the Bruins could win by a, a fair margin. And then that might give them a chance to rest some guys a little bit and not play Kel McCard 29 minutes or whatever they would need him to play. Otherwise. Hey, Peter, when I covered Tampa, a lot of the questions after they won the cup was, you know, if there's an injury came up, like, Oh, was it wearing terrors at all the accumulation of minutes or, Kind of think that but the injuries that the abs have had has it mostly been kind of freak stuff or has it been things that could have been attributed to like a like a groin or like a muscle thing where it could have been uh accumulation thing uh guys playing through some stuff and then kind of fighting through it i think it's it's probably mostly the just like hockey's a physical sport and things happen with the exception of landiscog i mean landiscog got knee surgery last season uh to clean some stuff up in his knee and 
kind of, I, I think, I don't know if rush back is the right term, but, but maybe could have done with some more time off than he took heading into the playoffs and was excellent in the playoffs, but it was bothering him throughout. Um, this summer, kind of that pain was still there, still lingering. So he he gets knee surgery at the start of this season after a few consultations, and and all of a sudden he's done or done until like I guess probably February somewhere in that range. Um, so so it's it's kind of like that's an injury to your captain, one of your most significant players, where the cup played a, a pretty like you can draw a straight line from what led to what. So I, I think that to an extent. Uh, some of it is cup related stuff. And then some of it's just bad luck. I mean, McAvoy and uh, kind of pulled Lekkonen down weird the other night and Lekkonen's out for a little bit. I don't know. He was day to day, so he could be back against the Bruins, but it's, it's a lot of weird stuff that's happened. And then some, some stuff that has lingered. Pete, back to the Nathan McKinnon injury for a minute, four weeks, as I mentioned with an upper body injury. And I, and when I saw the news, I kind of thought to myself, feel like we've heard this tale before. Um, and I went back and looked at his his injury history. 2015, he missed 18 games with a foot injury. 2016, 10 games with a knee injury. 2018, eight games with an upper body injury. Then eight games in 2021 with a lower body, body injury. Four games with a concussion in 2022. And seven other times where he missed one to three games. I'm not trying to shit on the guy because I think he's one of the best players on planet Earth. I even picked him to win the Hart Trophy this year. But is he officially in that injury-prone you know, list that so many people try to avoid being on. And when, when you think Nathan McKinnon, when he's done, is there going to be a situation where you think, yeah, it, had he been healthier, maybe there could have been something different. So I was actually, I was answering this in a mailbag the other day and I am still pretty hesitant to put that label on him. I mean, this is a guy who's never missed more than, I think 16 games is the most he's missed in a season. So while there have been stretches where, where he'll, he'll get an injury and miss some time, that's one thing, but also, the, the when the games are most important, he has never missed a game. He has never missed a playoff game. And I think that I think that's clearly what matters the most to him. And between not missing a playoff game and never missing having a season where he's missed more than 20 games, I, I think it's a little early to when you think of those injury prone guys, it's like guys who miss years of, or like season ending injury, season ending injury. So yes, there's been stuff that's come come up where he's missed a few weeks here and there. Um, but he's been there when it's counted most and he's never missed more than 20 games in this season. So I think that's probably a little premature. That injury seems so innocent too, didn't it? If it's where it's exactly we're looking at, it, it looks as though he just kind of got rubbed along the boards just a little bit and suddenly he's out a month. I'm not sure that's where it happened. I, I don't think they knew where it happened and they were trying to pinpoint it. And that could be, uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that's, that's where it happened. We, we've talked a lot about the guys that are out, but this team is still in. I mean, they're not where they want to be right now, but they are still in playoff position despite missing all these superstars. Um, who's who's stood out to you? Um, is there anyone? I mean, obviously, McCars kind of carrying the water right now. But aside from him, is there anyone who's any of the depth guys that have really stepped up in a bigger role and, and is really kind of helping this team stay afloat while while the guys are out? Yeah, it's not a huge scoring line, but the, uh, they've been rolling with this line of Cogliano, Comfer, and O'Connor. Um, and that line's been been really productive of just like keeping the puck in the offensive zone, like forechecking, kind of eating minutes a lot. Those guys are all penalty kill contributors. So that line has definitely been a positive. There's it, it was It's only been one game so far, but they brought up this guy, Charles Hudon, who used to be on Montreal. Um, and, and he looked really good in his first 
first game. It's kind of one of those things where he maybe is kind of one of the more skilled guys in the AHL, but that's not necessarily what the Avs are looking for when they're calling guys up. But now they kind of need someone with some skill who can provide some jumps. So, so he, he's going to get a bit more of an opportunity and I'm curious to see if he continues how, how he looked, but yeah, it's kind of been the, the normal guys. And McKinnon was awesome this year before he was hurt. He was carrying a lot of the load. So um, Randon's been good. Kind of the guys you'd expect. And then I, I think that one line of Cogliano Conf for O'Connor's been been a pretty good bright spot for the team. Pete, I think a lot of people in the hockey world were happy for Bednar when he got his Stanley Cup, considering his path to, to get there. And I know it's uh, no one knows until they go through it for the first time, but it's like to win a Stanley Cup in the next year. How has he kind of handled everything from a coaching perspective and where do you see his biggest you know, fingerprint on this team uh, this year? Yeah. I mean, he's a pretty mellow guy. I think he, he obviously all the coaches will say this, but like, it was like when the season started, he was like, we're, we've got to turn the page. It's time to, to move on. And and I think that it's one of those things where everyone says that, but you could kind of tell that like, that's, he's kind of practicing what he's preaching, you know, like he wasn't too hung up on the past. He was, looking into to this year and how to, to keep getting, getting better. I, I think that this team, um, you can see he, there's a lot of buy-in, um, which I think when there's a team that's as injury filled as this team is really important. Like they're sticking to kind of the systems and the effort level is high and um, the results aren't always pretty, but like for the most part, I, I don't think that this team is like lacked in effort and anything like that. And I think that, some of that comes to the culture and the culture goes back to the coach in a lot of ways. So I, I think he, if the abs are able to kind of stay afloat here, like I would guess they probably are going to be able to, I think Bednar deserves a lot of credit and he he's, he's been good at keeping even in past years when a team, the team is like really injury uh, kind of riddled. He's, he's done a good job keeping them afloat. And I, I, so I, that's one of the reasons I haven't kind of reached the point where I'm like, Oh, they, they need to really start worrying. Uh, Pete, Jesse mentioned Makar. We're on like a 50-show streak of saying how awesome he is, and we might as well make a 51 with you here. I read your piece about, you know, the, the, the series that the Athletic's doing on, you know, the, the different players and how they've made an impact on sports. I love watching this guy play, but I don't get to follow him on a regular basis. I mean, how much fun is it? I probably asked you this before, but I want to hear it again. Just you get to to, to be in and around this guy every day, He's just so ultra talented. I couldn't even imagine what practice would be like just watching him in the corner with the puck, just fooling around. Yeah, it's fun. I think that that one of the most fun things in practice is watching the power play, especially well when it's healthy. But you have McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landis guy. Like these guys just whip the puck around so easily, and like you can when you're closer, you kind of see how fast they're moving, and it's it's really it's impressive. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. And and yeah, McCarr has kind of I think. I don't know if it's fair to say he's taken the throne as the the best defenseman in the league from Hedman, but I think it's it's either at that point or getting there pretty quickly. He actually, I, I think, hasn't quite been at his best yet this year. I think like maybe some of the minutes are are adding up a little bit. There have been stretches, and he's been an elite elite defenseman, but it hasn't been quite as last year where he was. It felt like he he never did anything wrong. Um, so so he's he's been unbelievable. Um, even if he he still maybe has another level to reach this year at some point. Um, and then his his playoff run was obviously pretty historic, and um, I think led the team in points and and had an unbelievable postseason and got the Conn Smythe, which I thought was the right choice. 
it's funny. He, he made history too. When you look at the players who have ever won a Norris and a Conn Smythe, Bobby Orr and Nicholas Lidstrom, arguably yeah. the two greatest defensemen who ever lived. And now Kale McCarr is on that list. And, uh, you know, the one thing you keep forgetting, and we know this because we cover the game, but he's 24 years old. He's, he's literally yeah. a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was 24, not too long ago. So not, he's, he's not You're a child too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he, uh, no, he's, it's pretty unbelievable. And he's, he's fun to cover. Like he's, he's kind of, he's one of the guys who I feel like the open locker room, like actually talking to the guy he's so much better in that setting than just like at a like press conference podium or whatever and and he was always respectful and fine there but he's i find you can kind of get a lot more insights from him and he's pretty um forthcoming about how he's feeling and stuff like that and and so that's been that's been fun pete i'd like to ask you about the book a little bit um Sure. Lots, lots of writing for you over the last summer. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like I've, we've, we've both do the same thing every day. We're beat writers, we're covering teams. I've never written a book. I'm curious, what's the biggest difference in, in writing a book? What was the biggest challenge in, in going from writing stories every, every day, a couple big stories a week during that playoff run to, to writing something as big as a book, taking on that, that big of a challenge? Yeah, I think there were a lot of like big differences, but there were also a lot of like big similarities. Like if we're, if I'm writing a big feature story, I have to outline it pretty well. And I found that with, with this, I had to outline the book pretty well, you know, like I had to have a good sense of where I wanted different things to, to happen. Um, and then beyond that, I think that the biggest thing was just kind of realizing like you have so much more space for your voice and like your, I guess, expertise or whatever. And, and just kind of like needing to really like, kind of capitalize that on that and like it, it it took me a while to get in a rhythm but like kind of trusting your voice and your um i guess ability to say what happened without like le- like i i had a, a professor who i i from college who i kind of turned to a lot who was who's very helpful his name is michael nisley and he he um one of the things he said was like you need to be the expert on this and like you need to talk with authority which i think is true for articles but i think with a book it's even more so like I guess like it's less like there, obviously there's a lot of reporting that goes into it. And most of the stuff I write is influenced by reporting, but it was also, I kind of had to take my own voice and say what happened authoritatively um, in a different way that, that I found like took me a while to get in the rhythm, but I I found pretty fun once I did. Yeah. Pete, congrats on the book, of course. And I was curious in more of a a book nerd way of like the process of it um, and time management. I know after the lightning won their second cup, I was approached by doing a book and I was like, just completely gassed. I was like, yeah. give me the hell away from hockey lightning. And went, went to the Europe for two weeks with my wife on Tour de Mont Blanc to hike them around all the Alps and stuff like that. Like, I was like, no way I want to write something like that in the next three months. You know, like what was your mental process like that? Like was you writing a couple hours a day in the summertime? Like how do you kind of compartmentalize and did you, and how do you have the energy to kind of do that while also getting kind of recharge, I guess, for the season? Yeah. Well, I definitely maybe, could have recharged a little more. That's maybe one thing this, this coming off season I have to, <laughs> I have to remember. Uh, but I, I think that one of the, I, I tried to like do some things to like shake it up a little bit. Like I, I at one point went to like, just went out into the mountains um, and, and like got like a, a lodge room or something for a few days and just rode a bunch there and hiked and mm-hmm. kind of tried to take some time for myself, but also some time to like work in a more fun environment um, 
And then, yeah, it was kind of a lot of like trying to make sure I was doing a good bit every day and, and, um, kind of getting good feedback from, from people I trusted to like, to read stuff. And, and that like, honestly helped a, a ton. Like, I don't think that this would have been the product I wanted if I hadn't had that. Um, and I have some like really good friends who are really good at reading things and, and I'm really grateful for all of that. So it was definitely a, a whirlwind. And, um, but yeah, I, I think those are the big things. Like I had to outline it well, kind of do a bit every day and tried to shake up the location sometimes. So it wasn't just writing at home all the time. How do you kind of differentiate the book from the one that obviously ran with the, all the athletic stories you wrote, because um, obviously you covered this team really well, a lot of really awesome stories. And I was wondering, how do you how you get something that's new uh, and make a different book than the one, I guess, the athletic ran? Yeah, because that one was kind of more just like a volume of, of throughout the year. It was almost like a yearbook. This one I kind of viewed as like, I wanted to get a little more into like how the team was built, kind of some of the inside stories that maybe after uh, things were said and done, people would be more willing to share, which was, was the case. Like it was, I kind of, I tried to talk to as many players on the team as I could over the summer, like just do an interview with them and, and kind of get some of those stories of like, whether it was like the, the, the dinner they had the night before game six, where Andrew Cogliano gave this really big speech or Nico Sturm talking about kind of the, the process of getting traded and, and, all of that stuff and and just kind of different touch points throughout the season that maybe players in the moment aren't going to, you know how hockey players are. Like sometimes like if it's a big win, they'll be like, Oh yeah, it's a big win, but we got to keep going along or whatever. And whereas in, if they're lo- reflecting back after the course of the season, they might say like this win meant something and we felt something changed then or something like that. And, and I, I think that, kind of getting doing that additional reporting really helped make it different than the reporting I'd already done. And then I also could rely on the past reporting of, of kind of the, the stories I'd done in the past to talk about kind of the rise of a lot of these different players. I've said this a million times. If I could just interview retired players for the rest of my career, mm-hmm. I think I would yeah. because they're so much more open to exactly what you said. Um, you know, they, they don't have to worry about, pissing people off and getting benched or getting traded or anything else. I always find interviewing former players so much fun. And um, I'm really looking forward to reading the book, Force of Nature, Joe Sackick, a star-studded team, and how the Colorado Avalanche built a Stanley Cup winner. It's available for Christmas, right? Where can people get it? Yeah, it's, uh, it is out. It's on the Amazon website, both Canada and the U.S., Barnes & Noble, Chapters in Canada, like all the main places you can get books online, it, it should be available. Awesome. And Peter did a uh, misery type writing process. I can't believe you went to a cabin and wrote in a cabin after seeing that. If you've ever seen the movie Misery, you know what I'm talking about. Peter, thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Pete. Peter Baugh, who covers the Avs and of course wrote that book about that amazing team. And guys, cards on the table. I was in high school, a diehard Red Wings fan. So I hated the avalanche with every (laughs) fiber of my being. So when I read this book, I could just see steam. (laughs) coming out of my ears rapid fire coming up after the break
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. We're going to start with the Capitals. I know we've talked a lot about teams getting injured a lot, and they are definitely one of them. They battled some injuries to some key players, 11 pending free agents as well. If this team doesn't start winning, are they officially sellers come March? Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think they definitely are. I mean, you, you mentioned all of the pending free agents, and these aren't like Nobody's like the they, <laughs> top players on this team are, are have their contracts up. They're aging They right now. It's just the Ovechkin show. I feel like he's going to keep scoring goals, but all the rest of these players, uh, the ones that are healthy are really struggling right now. I think at this point, I think it's more likely that they're sellers than not. I agree with you, Jesse. And I think it's, it's a tough thing when you have a team built around a core like that. That's what a championship together, just like at Pittsburgh too. When to know when to say no, when to, when, to, when to say yes, when to start, you know, making some deals to get your team better, even if it's like a retool uh, on the fly versus a rebuild. Uh, but yeah, they made some tough decisions this summer with all the big contracts like you mentioned. So I think if you know as a GM, you realistically can't put a Stanley Cup this year and in that window, make your window think, better next year to do that. I think what really hit me was when you look at what their record has to be from here out, in order to make the playoffs, they've got to be a top 10 team in the league after having a 481 points percentage. Like when you look at it that way, it seems very unrealistic that this team is very big. They need to climb Uh, rapid fire. Number two, Cal Peterson Kings placed him on waivers. He cleared. Remember, this is the first year of a $15 million contract and he has just struggled this year. So they loaned him to the Ontario reign of the AHL. So my question is what now? Joe, we'll start with you. Find a great goaltending coach down there and help him rebuild rebuild some of that confidence that he has. Like obviously they're in a tough spot because he's the heir apparent or supposed to be heir apparent to Jonathan Quick, right? He's supposed to be that guy, and not all number one goalies are developed the same. They're all different kind of uh, features. So uh, I think maybe this was uh, a wake up call not only to to Peterson, I think for the whole entire Kings team about how do we let the, let this thing happen. Um, so I think maybe being out of, out of the spotlight there 
in Ontario and, and rebuilding some of his game there and get another chance because they can't give up on him. They have no choice. I mean, he's on, on the hook for three more, a couple more years here, and they absolutely need a guy like this to be uh, a number one caliber goalie. Uh, and Quick's going to retire at some point. He can't play forever. Yeah, it's it's so strange to see the Kings with bad goaltending um, because I feel like this team has just been a goalie factory for a long time. Like Jonathan Quick's obviously been the guy for a long time, but how many backup goalies behind Quick that they've drafted and developed have have gone on to other teams to be awesome? Like they, it feels like a third of the league has former Kings goalies. Like th- this team from a from a drafting perspective in terms of identifying talent and their ability to develop them has been good for so long that I I'm not ready to say like Jack Campbell's never good. I mean sorry Jack Campbell that's another guy that, that they <laughs> that they produce. Cal Peterson isn't going to be able to turn this around. So I agree with Joe, send him down there, take some of the pressure off of him, let them develop him because t- to me this is a, an organization that has done such a good job developing goalies. Um, I have faith that if there's a team out there that can turn his his game around and get him back to playing like a number 1 goalie that they need, it's the Kings. And final rapid fire topic, Jacob Forecheck announced Monday he's going to be out long term with concussion symptoms. He mentioned he's had seven, seven documented um. concussions over his NHL career. I hate when people like us tell someone to retire. But when I hear seven concussions, you just kind of like, oh, man, like think about second half of your life. Um, th- it was it was a tough thing to watch, but he keeps saying he wants to come back. Uh, your thoughts on this for check news, Jesse? Yeah, I, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. It just I it, while part of me says think about the second half of your life and like this when when you've done nothing but try to be an NHL player and, and be an NHL player for your entire life and you don't know anything else, it's like, no, I, th- this is what I want to do and I don't want to do anything else. So it's like I, I understand this both sides. I understand why we would be sitting here cringing at seven concussions. Oh, my gosh. Is this guy going to be able to live a normal life after hockey? But at I see his side too. Like I understand why, especially if you're him and you, you go through the concussion protocol and you get through it and you say, look, I'm healthy. Like it, I, I can play hockey right now. I want to play hockey. Um, it's a really, really tough situation that I think we're, we've been learning a lot more about brain health over the last five years, more far more than we ever knew. I think we're going to continue down that path, and it's going to be something that this is such a tough situation for players to deal with, but I think we're going to need doctors to to tell them, doctors to help them make better decisions. I agree, Jesse. I mean, I think this is a tough decision for a player to walk away or to stop playing a game he's Loved ever since he was three years old. Um, but I also look at it a way, like you mentioned, all the research we've seen with the studies over brains over time. And this is not tearing a meniscus and saying, a doctor saying, oh, you, don't, you can't hurt it anymore if you go out and play tomorrow against the king. Because this is your brain. You don't know long-term injuries until, unfortunately, it's too late and they examine it afterwards. So um, I, I know players are so tough and hockey players are tough as they come. And I'm sure he wants to play. And I'm sure anybody would, would be in his corner. But I think they will take a doctor take that out of his hands probably before this happens some for a lot of players right a lot of players have to be safe from themselves and uh I hopefully for for his sake he play makes the right decision or he, if he plays he stays healthy if not um obviously it's a very delicate situation to uh to kind of follow the more we learn about brain injuries the more news like that always scares me um another show in the books guys real quick what are we working on this week joe we'll start with you you're on the uh the wild trip here. So following them around, I did a fun story yesterday on their am- amazing race, team building activities out there in the snow and, and Banff area. So that was fun. 
Uh, just working on big picture stories on, on, uh, on Wall Stat, their goalie of the future, a deep dive on him. Um, he'll be the guy who'll eventually replace Mark Andre Fleury in uh, Minnesota. Uh, and a few other kind of NHL related features, uh, behind the scenes stuff on what goes on uh, uh, in an NHL travel uh, experience. So it'll be kind of fun. I've got a cool story coming up on, uh, I, I've just been going around the room and asking them. This is a story that I'm sure people have seen from other teams, but it hasn't been written on the Golden Knights for a while, but uh, how they all got their numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just fascinating to me how like, like to, to be honest, a lot of the guys are, well, I walked into the room and that was the jersey hanging in the stall and that's my number. To, to spice the story up a little bit more, I, I started asking them, like, to me, it's fascinating how num- what numbers say about a player and how you see a guy like Jonathan Marcheseau with a number 81, a real high number that you don't see a lot in the league. And it's like, well, that guy had to fight his ass off to get into the league. And you can tell that by his number. And then sitting right next to him is Jack Eichel with a number nine. And it's like, oh. He's had the same number since he was five. And when he got into the league, he automatically got the number he wanted. So I don't know. To me, it's a story about how each guy got his number, but more so it's a story about how numbers can tell you something about players in the NHL. It's been a fun one to to report. It's a fascinating stuff. I mean, Rooster and I did one in Minnesota. People loved it. It's just like crazy how a guy can get number 89 versus a guy who's worn the same number forever because no one ever take that number from him, right? He just comes to their team and team. There's no bartering like there are other leagues, right? No one pays in the NHL for the number. If they come to a team, says, "Hey, I want number 23. I'll give you 10 grand for it." Like they don't do so, that as so, much. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, so I asked uh, Ben Hutton about about that, and he goes, "Yeah, um, I wanted number 10, for, but Nick Waugh had it, and uh, I offered him a, a Rolex, and he wouldn't take it." And I was like, "Really? He wouldn't?" And he goes, "Yeah, go ask Nick about it right now." <laughs> so I go walk and I walk across the room, and I go ask Waugh, and I'm like, "I heard, I heard you uh, got offered a Rolex for number 10, and you wouldn't give it up." And he goes, "That was Ben that told you that, right?" Yeah, he's lying. He's too cheap for that. So <laughs> they were just messing with me. Great, great though. <laughs> Look forward to reading all that. Thanks, boys, for another great show. Before we go, I do want to remind everyone who's listening to go and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you leave a rating and review, uh, it really helps us out a lot. And now that you're done listening to us, guys, listen to some more. Go back and check out John Hamm. He was on with uh, Sean Gentile and Jeremy Rutherford on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And if you want more great hockey talk, it's pretty simple. Subscribe. Right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just 2 bucks a month for a year when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown and the Roundtable will be back next week with myself, Russo and Granger and our special guest, John Shannon. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.